Matthew Good, English actor. This is Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira. I'm a rom-com fan. I'm Brett. I'm a horror fan. What do we do at Necromancer, Brett? Uh, well, each week we watch a horror movie, and then we turn it into a rom-com, and then we watch a rom-com and turn it into a horror. That is correct. And it's exactly, exactly what you expect and nothing else. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. And today we're doing our first actor-themed episode, Matthew Good. Is he horrible? Is he romantic? Is he perhaps both? Do you have opinion on... Well, I, I can imagine you have opinion on which movie Matthew Good was better in. Sure. But what do you think Matthew Good brings that makes him both good as a romantic protagonist and a villain? Mm. His ability to whistle. His ability to whistle? Are yeah. you sure that wasn't just a whistle voiceover? It could be, but I'd like to believe in the Hollywood mm -hmm. magic. That um, he's a trained whistler? Yes. And he whistles in both movies. Did you notice that? I didn't, but I did notice that both movies were really into high heels. Yes. That, that was actually a, a commonality that I did not expect. I don't know if that's like, you know, like how they say Quentin Tarantino's into feet. Right. I, I don't know if Matthew Good only does movies where women wear high heels. Yeah, but... he, he flips through those scripts. <laughs> and if, if, if high if... heels don't get mentioned at least 10 times, he throws it right out. Right, right. No, I mean, his agent is probably furious about this. But yeah, He's probably furious at his agent. For <laughs> not making more. <laughs> Right. scripts that have high heels in them uh yeah i i yeah i didn't know that he whistles in both oh yeah now i guess you're right he does but i at least in stoker he whispers very or whispers he, he does wh whisper <laughs> he, he does whisper um but he whistles verity he he whistles like a famous right. operatic tunes you, you know that charlie like is he's very cultured he's very pretentious yes i mean but also declan knows how to make cocovine so and he knows how to kill a chicken and he can honestly i don't think it's that hard to kill a chicken probably just morally you've never killed a chicken though right no i haven't um you gotta be pretty strong to snap that neck I don't know. I'm pretty strong. I feel like a chicken's neck can't possibly be that hard to break because you literally I just guess. swing them around and you can... I, I've never done it, but my my predecessors have. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I... Like, my grandparents, I think, probably grew up in a time and in a place where killing your own chickens wasn't that big of a deal. Right. Um, but, but yeah, no, in, in both movies, he's a killer, you could say. That's true. I think that the thing that makes Matthew good, a good, <laughs> uh. a good romantic and horror actor. And I say that despite 
leap year not being, you know, it's definitely not cracking the top 10 as far as greatest romantic comedies of all time. But I think what makes him a bankable actor in both types of roles is he's got the smolder. Yeah. And the smolder, like in a romantic movie, the smolder is obviously more warm, but it's all in the eyes. Like Matthew Good has good, intense eyes. And he puts his smolder beams on Amy Adams very effectively, I think, in the leap year. And it's just like face acting, right? It's very relaxed. Um, And then his intense laser beams on for Stoker, where like kind of the skin around his eyes is really tight and tense because he's almost like looking at everyone like a like a lizard or something. Right. Yeah, he's definitely very reptilian he is yeah no he he definitely seems like someone who like and and it works in that movie like who's kind of just impersonating human emotions right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you ever see nightcrawler um no with jake gyllenhaal oh with jake gyllenhaal i was yeah. thinking about nightcrawler from x-men from and X-Men? i was like that was matthew good oh no no it was alan cummings i think right? yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, Nightcrawler has a very similar sort of like reptilian, otherworldly aspect going on where this guy's got to like impersonate being a human being. Right. But the thing that I think makes Matthew good, unique from those, or I was just, when you were saying that, thinking of the new Joker movie, mm-hmm. is he's attractive. Like right. he uses attraction as part of his deal whether he's like an homme fatale and stoker or he's a romantic lead like a lot of his power is also built on his ability to be sexually attractive in both movies really yeah both movies are full of sexiness. sexy sexy sex well really yeah. leap years not it because it's pg-13 i you know i really or pg i think that being pg-13 PG? it's pg i think being wow. pg-13 probably would have helped it <laughs> or i don't i, I don't, don't know, know. i don't what know would if have that, that movie out? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i i have some thoughts but right. but yeah let's let's go ahead and get into it do you want to do leap year first sure sure so Leap Year is about uh, success. It's going to be hard for me to not do this in like that South Park. Just just do voice. it. Just like, lean into it. Successful real estate stager Anna Brady really wants one thing for her boyfriend Jeremy to ask her to marry him. That rock. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, and then when he's sent off to Ireland for his job, she decides to dis- to surprise him with a visit and propose to him on February 29th, Leap Year Day, in which an old Irish tradition allows for women to propose to men. Uh, the first of her troubles starts when the plane is diverted to Wales instead of going to Dublin. Anna tries to rent a boat, but the weather is too rough on the seas, and the boat must go to the town of Dingle. There she stumbles into a bar slash inn and meets Declan, who happens to drive the town's only taxi. Anna tries to get... And he's the owner of the bar slash inn. Uh, Anna tries to get Declan to drive her to Dublin, but he says no. Then after a foreclosure warning, he decides to take her up on her offer. Mm-hmm. How am I doing so far? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 
Declan makes fun of Anna for her silly idea, so she throws his sandwich and cassette tape out the window. <laughs> it's funnier when you say it. <laughs> uh, he stops to get his tape back, but then the car is blocked by a herd of cows. Declan sits and waits for the cows to leave, but Anna ain't got time for that and shoos them away. She's super proud of herself until she steps into some cow poopy. She tries to wipe it off, but in the process, leans on Declan's car, causing it to roll backwards into a lake. Next, the the two go to a train station, and the next train is about two and a half hours out. So the two go up a hill and visit a castle and learn about an Irish fairy tale. And Declan asks Anna what she would get out of her house if her house was on fire and she only had 60 seconds to grab one thing. The two get so lost in conversation they miss the train. Anna, of course, runs down the hill and falls into some mud. The train man also runs a bed and breakfast, but the two must pretend to be married. They spend quality time together, and Declan kills a chicken, and they make dinner together, and then at dinner, two older couples kiss, forcing, in air quotes, forcing Declan and Anna to kiss, and it's super sexy and super forbidden. Anna ain't Super ever, awkward. Super awkward. Why? I thought they did well, a, a good job like, of well, like... Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they did it. We'll, we'll get into it. I'll let okay. you finish. Yeah. Because, uh, well, Anna's never been kissed like that before. Let me tell you something right now. Uh, next, the two try to continue by foot, but get caught up in a hailstorm. They seek refuge in a church where a couple is getting married. Anna gets sloppy drunk and makes a fool of herself to the bride and then drinks straight vodka on the beach. When Declan comes to get her, she almost kisses him again, but pukes and passes out. Oh, yeah, she Anna. pulls a ten things. Yeah, oh, big time. Uh, the next morning, Anna wakes up on a park bench with Declan, and she leaves. Declan wakes up, sees the bus for Dublin leaving, and he gets super sad. Anna, though, did not leave Declan. She just left to get them coffee. Surprise! Declan informs Anna that he was in love once, but his bride ran off to be, or his bride to be ran off with his grandmother's ring and his best friend. Oh no! Finally, the two make it to Jeremy, who proposes to Anna. She doesn't know what to do, but as she looks back to Declan, he's already gone. So she accepts the marriage proposal. Back in Boston, Jeremy reveals the only reason he proposed was because it got them a better chance to get into the condo they wanted. Anna pulls the fire alarm and watches as Jeremy goes for all the material things in the apartment. So she leaves, goes back to Ireland, and basically proposes to Declan. Declan just walks away, so Anna leaves in shame, but then Declan shows up and surprises her with his grandmother's ring, one-upping her own a clada. proposal. A what? A clada. Is that the type of or ring? A clada. Um, it's an Irish ring that's like hands holding a heart with a crown, and oh. where you, how you wear the ring shows whether or not you're in a relationship or not. Um, but I knew a lot of high school girls that wore that ring. Yeah, I had a girlfriend who wore that ring. A Clada, yeah. Yeah, the the heart faces away. You're not in a relationship. The heart faces to you. You are in a relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so she leaves, but then he shows back up and surprises her with his own grandmother's ring and then one-ups her own proposal with one of his own and then they kiss and they live happily ever after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was surprised. Two villagers look on, right? And yeah, it, oh, this movie ends with like 
her grabbing the map book out of his hands and like, we don't need to know where we're going. And then where are they going, space? There's like three <laughs> more minutes of jokes that are just the corniest. I, yeah, they don't know how sap- to end it. Ugh. I mean, like, I have to say, like, it's difficult to in any script or any script come up with a good finisher. Like, right. um, what is it? Have you ever seen Some Like It Hot? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that movie, without spoiling anything, has probably one of the best final lines which is nobody's perfect right uh and it's just and it's just it just it is perfect like nobody's perfect but that line is perfect and i feel like not very many movies find the nobody's perfect or maybe they don't have enough time to work on the script to find the nobody's perfect like we were talking last episode about how usually the funniest thing is like the fifth thing that you think of. Uh, and like how in, in Mary, like they, they went through a, a few iterations before they got to the funniest thing. I feel like with leap year, maybe they got to like the second thing and then they moved on. Right. Like they didn't try to work the scenes to be as funny as they could possibly be. Yeah. Everything felt really flat. Yeah. And it felt really like, I mean, I guess it's good that it felt short, but it felt really like, let's just get in and get out of this scene. Yeah, like, it felt why, long I'm... for an hour and 40 minute movie. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it felt short for me because mm. I like, I just spaced out and didn't really care about much of what was going on. This movie right. is really forgettable. It is a really forgettable movie, but I I still maintain that at least for me, Matthew Good is unforgettable and and I do think that like although the movie didn't work, I, I think both of those actors, Amy Adams and Matthew Good, not only are they just good actors in general, but right. I think that they have the chops to to make a good romantic script come off the page. Uh, this movie confused me a lot because I guess it had been a while since I'd seen it. So Mm -hmm. I didn't remember what it was like. I, what I did remember and it's still, I'm puzzled by is it has a lot of elements that I like to consider or what I would call catnip, you know, like when, when romance fans and, and I'm sure it's the same for horror fans, like you see certain things in a movie and you're like, Oh yeah, that's my jam. Right. Like for me, it's things like, a grumpy hero and Matthew Good is that uh, road trip I love road trip themes and, and I'm, I'm here for any road trip rom-com uh, forced proximity That's, I mean and road trip is, is a good right. vehicle for something like that but in general there's like a ton of ways that you can get forced proximity between your leads where they don't want to be close but then they have to be confined uh, and then another trope uh, that I love when it's done right is there's only one bed. And uh, that happens in a lot of rom-coms. And yeah. usually I think when it's done well, like not only is it a recognizable moment, which I don't think that makes it bad. Like people act like tropes are bad because they're recognizable or they use like, you know, I don't know, things that we immediately recognize as being tropic. But I think that they can also be really exciting. So it's like, yeah, you see the mm-hmm. one bed and you're like, I know what's coming. Yeah. Like, and, 
And it's meant to feel like an exciting moment, but they have all these tools and they just kind of get drained of all their power. Like, like I think particularly with like the grumpy hero, I think like what makes a grumpy hero work is that he has a convincing backstory for his grumpiness. Mm -hmm. And the backstory for Declan's grumpiness was just established really late. Like it's not, it's not wrong to make like a failed relationship, the reason for the grumpiness, but it needs to feel more, I don't know, organic with, I can't really come up with any other word like in French kiss. The lead is grumpy because he's been ousted out of his family business in addition to also having love problems. And it's something that he and the lead female discuss throughout the entire movie. So like you don't, it doesn't feel like, like it feels like his character just wasn't allowed to develop enough. And then also I don't think he suffered enough either. Like something that would have probably made more of that stuff work is if Amy Adams wasn't the sole sufferer of every, you know, thing that happened on their trip, all the suffering went to her rather like, I mean, he suffered by proxy kind of watching, but not really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. I don't know about, about all those tropes like they don't do it for me but i've been watching a lot of kung fu movies lately what kung fu tropes do it for you um hmm well i don't know that's a good question um i just love when there's animal based kung fu oh yeah yeah and i love when they have to like mimic the animal in their training Ah, that really does it for me, especially when they style. Yeah. When they mimic the animal right alongside the animal. That's really good. I've never seen a Kung Fu movie that did that. Oh, yeah. There's some like a lot of mantis, a lot of mantis style. They'll mimic the the mantis right Mm -hmm. next to the mantis. They do a a close up of the mantis Mm -hmm. doing mantis moves. Yeah. And then they do the guy doing his own mantis moves. I don't, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't recognize any kung fu tropes. I just usually just recognize, does the movie have Bolo Young in it or not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What did you think about this movie being a remake of It Happened One Night? Oh, I really feel like, again, they, they missed a lot of opportunities to, to make it a better homage. And they also, um, in addition to being a remake, supposedly of it happened one night, it's, it's also a remake of, uh, a really, really good movie called, uh, I know where I'm going. Um, but in all three movies, a few things are similar across them. There's a woman, she's on a journey. She's trying to get to her fiance in I Know Where I'm Going and it happens one night. And in this case, she's trying to get to her boyfriend would-be fiance. A grumpy man joins the journey. And in it happened one night. The motivation is very clear and like the movie's even shorter than Leap Year, but because it's an older movie, it, it happens so much faster because 
uh, Claudette Colbert in that movie is an heiress and she's a public figure. And Clark Gable's character is a reporter. So he wants to follow her for the story, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think also that makes it very easy to say, like, I know exactly why he's motivated to continue following her. Whereas the motivation that they set up for Declan, where he needs money to prevent the bar from being foreclosed on the very bar that his girlfriend left him at and blah, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't stick in the way that like, oh, I need to follow this woman because my job depends on it. Like that feels like a much stronger motivation than like I need 500 euros, which I I imagine maybe in 2010 was maybe a lot more. Um, I don't know, but still 500 euros to save the bar from being foreclosed feels like a small amount. Yeah. Yeah. And then he turns the money away at the end, but I don't know. One of the one of the catnippy things that usually gets me is like one of those scenes where everyone has to like chip in the money. Oh yeah, but I love this, stuff like that. In this movie, it's like everyone donates the money, and then they collect the money, and the money's not enough, and then they all just chip in a few bucks more. Right. <laughs> it's like you know, you know what I think would have made this better and could have solved a couple of those problems is if she was forced to stay in Dingle for the entire movie. Because in I Know Where I'm Going, it takes place in Scotland and she's trying to get to an island for her wedding, but the seas are just like in that one scene in Leap Year, the seas are too rough and nobody in the village wants to take her out. So she's forced to basically hang out in the village with the male lead and meet all the village people. So you could have made the reason for Declan's grumpiness more apparent as voiced through other characters. Like she could have been learning all about him Mm -hmm. and how he became grumpy through the people in the village. Um, And then it would also... um, Yeah, I just, I feel like then it would make that scene of them putting their money in more poignant if we'd been following the village characters for the entire movies. But we just see the village characters at the very beginning, and then we see them at the end. But if we're like, oh, old Tommy Knockers <laughs> is is putting something in, and we know because he had this scene with Anna that he doesn't even have that much money. Right. Like, you have to assume that everybody else in the village is poor, so them chipping in money is a big deal. Um, but yeah, it like lacks the punch that even though it is, I have, that's totally a catnip thing for me too. Like, yeah. or, uh, the, the one person starts clapping. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. like it's, it's like another word for trope you could say is cliche, but it's a cliche that I'm, I'm into it. I, I like it. It, mm-hmm. it's a cliche cause it, it works, but it like, maybe it just feels like it wasn't earned. Do you think that's yeah. what it was? <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel like it wasn't earned. And it was just kind of sloppy and sort of, again, it was just like, let's just get in and get out of this scene. This whole movie just wanted to like get in and out of every scene as fast as possible. And um, right. one of the things that like we talked about for um, 10 Things I Hate About You is just like adding those little touches at the beginning and ends of scenes, you know, the little... So playful. Yeah, like... 
if you want to have fun, have some fun. Right. Uh, And I feel like Mary was that way too, where Mm -hmm. they like, they just kind of kept working the scene and having fun with it and and adding like little touches. Like it's not just like, I feel like this movie really wanted to go for the big laughs. Like she stepped in (laughs) poo-poo. She fell in some mud. Right. And it's funny to me, like, I I don't mind physical comedy. And, like, Mary was a movie that was, like, chock full of physical comedy. Um, But you'll notice it was kind of evenly distributed among the different characters. Like, even Mary gets cum in her hair. Um, But... Again, Declan never suffered. Like, his car gets totaled. But other than that, he's never forced to crawl through the dirt or do anything except face his feelings. Right. You know, which I guess that's, is the hardest hard. ask of all. Yeah, that's hard for a man to do. <laughs> feelings are tough. Feelings are tough. What did you think about... So, they had to make Adam Scott a bad guy. Right, because at the beginning he of the movie, wasn't that bad. He's... I know at the beginning of the movie, he's the boyfriend, and she loves him, and she's deeply in love with him, and blah 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 blah. And there's no problem in the relationship, but then she goes on this super romantic journey with Declan, and so then she has to leave him. And the way that they get her to leave him is to like come up with this weird thing about the condo and he's like mm-hmm. oh, well it was just gonna happen eventually so and like why would you say that about your partner right in front right. of him? it was just like it's felt very out of character and it felt very much like oh now he has to be the bad guy so let's just make him yeah like i think that like as his bad as possible like his original sin was meant to be that he's superficial right like he cares more about status and material than he does about 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 growing the relationship right uh but do and, they set that up well i think that it's not set up well but there's this thing in rom-coms, particularly when a girl or sorry, a woman has been set up as being ultra competent. Like we've seen some really like super competent female protagonists like uh, Miss Congeniality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think who else is like just like a super confident female lead. Like, Geet in Job We yeah. Met is a totally different type. She's right. like incompetent, hilariously incompetent. She's confident. Confident, but but not competent. Whereas the other type is not confident, but extremely competent. So right. Gracie and Anna, Amy Adams' character, like it's like they they embody like kind of a problem that a lot of women deal with, which is where you've kind of succeeded in this new system, like equal system supposedly based on merit. And then you come to a point where it's like, I deserve more for what I've put out. And I think that they're trying to demonstrate at the beginning of the movie that she's so ultra competent, but that she's missing the one thing that she can't earn based on merit, which is 
the love of another human being mm. because that it's not something that you just gain by being the best real estate stager, right. right? And another heroine who I think does this way better, same writing team behind uh, 10 Things, is the writing duo that did uh, Legally Blonde. Mm. So the engagement scene as it's set up for Legally Blonde, again, like there were so many ways like they could have made this work more. Like they had Caitlin Olsen who criminally underused, like they could have gotten so much funny stuff out of Caitlin Olsen from It's Always Sunny. But in Legally Blonde, they stage the lead up to what she thinks is going to be him proposing with literally every single person in her life being like, you go girl, you got this. And like, you see Elle Woods um, really showing how competent she is. And then also showing that like the whole world is behind her. Like not just she thinks she's going to get engaged. Everyone does. And so when he breaks up with her at the restaurant, it really like comes as a reversal whereas like here it wasn't like like yeah she's like trying on her like fancy dress and and Caitlin Olsen who plays her sister was like I saw him in the ring store but it doesn't have as big of a like heft as like having literally everyone in L sorority being like girl it's gonna happen tonight you know like there were ways that they could have staged it to have a bigger impact when he said no without necessarily needing to develop out Adam Scott's character that much. Um, and, and yeah, like, yeah, his cardinal sin was that he made awkward jokes and that he was superficial, but other than that, he didn't really do anything egregious. Yeah. I don't know. I really like Adam Scott, and I like when he plays. <laughs> I like when he plays the jerk. So the fact that like they didn't give him an opportunity to really ham it up or or play the obvious bad guy. Yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah. I, I would have been. I would have been into that if he'd played the obvious bad guy. Like, I wonder if the tone of this film too would have benefit if they'd set it in a different time period too. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. There's not too much, now that I'm thinking about it, there's not too much that really put it in the modern day. Right. Like, it didn't need to necessarily take place in modern day. Yeah. The other thing I noticed about the movie is, you know how we had talked the previous episode about uh, how uh, before a score for a movie is written, mm-hmm. they'll just put in, like, standard, like, music in there i feel like they did that in this movie and then they didn't take it out (laughs) they just kept it and i found that to be mildly infuriating like i don't know that a score would necessarily save any not like not really great movie but i feel like like some of the musical choices didn't like felt like tonally dissonant from like the action on the screen and it just didn't it just didn't work. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't recognize the music too much. I was, I was checked out of this movie. <laughs> it was so bland. Yeah, it, it was so flat too. Just like the cinematography and everything, just felt very. I think like filming a comedy is hard because comedy. I don't know. 
I just, I wonder, like, here's my theory, because the movie has a lot of individual elements that I've listed that I love, and it also cribs from a lot of really good rom-coms. It happened one night, I know where I'm going, and I would even go so far as to say the speech she gives him on the beach, where she calls him a beast, is directly ripped off uh this movie an amazing movie called moonstruck uh with have you ever seen it no it's got Cher and Nicolas cage but there's a really great scene where Cher tells Nicolas cage that he's a wolf and she proceeds to to give it to him and her delivery is really amazing it's really deadpan also the movie's really well written and so that monologue works but here it's like the person who wrote this movie saw moonstruck and was like i want to do that right um but then they didn't exactly do it like and i don't it's not that i don't like pastiche like i like movies that are pastiches like um cabin in the woods is like a horror movie pastiche But I think that what makes something like that work versus when it doesn't work is how those sort of set pieces can be based in like real emotion. Like it has to have some connection to to real experience. Uh, And then also warmth, like it can't feel like cold and calculated. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, I think so. It's hard to make a movie warm. Right. But um this movie definitely feels cold. Right. So whatever whatever that X factor is, it just didn't have it. I like Amy Adams and I like Matthew Good. Mm-hmm. But how did you feel about them together? Did you feel like they had chemistry together? I don't know. I feel like Matthew Good could set his smolder on anyone mm-hmm. and I can believe it. Um and I think that Amy Adams is also a really good face actor. Um, but I wasn't sure about their chemistry together. Yeah. I feel like that had more to do with how the characters were written, though, right. than the actor's chemistry. Because, again, like the way that you sort of write the growing intimacy really matters. And, like, the the touch points, like, the literal touch points weren't written in, in a way where I could see, like, this is drawing these two closer together. Even, like, again, another missed opportunity, like, when they're at the wedding party and she's dancing and being spun around by a different guy Mm -hmm. while Declan watches. Like they could have staged it so that they were sharing that moment together versus him watching her having fun from afar. Like there needed to be, or some of the times where Amy Adams fell down, it should have been both of them. Mm -hmm. Like if both of them got wet or both of them fell in the mud and, you know, kind of like uh, Princess Bride and got all like tangled together, yeah. you know, that kind of like there were opportunities to make it feel like these two were growing to love each other. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. The movie just felt flat. That's all I could say. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't know. I don't know how to... I think you've done a good job of adding some spice into it. Spicy, spicy. Like I said, I I love these tropes, and I will see movies, good or bad, that have the catnip, just because I'm curious to see how it plays out. Like, I honestly don't even think that good acting is always necessary to make something really appealing to me. Right. Um, but just... Even though they had those tools in their toolbox, it's kind of like they just threw them at the wall rather than use them to build something. So, like, I don't know. I, I, I hate to say, like, movies are, like, good or bad or this or that, but, like, works versus doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And there was just so much that I feel like it could have worked. And maybe that's what I was remembering about this movie is, like, you had Matthew Good. And his nice smolder stare, which I think, again, he's one of the best in the game. Um, And then the tropes that I described, but I'd forgotten that it didn't necessarily cohere together in a way that really worked. Yeah. Um, I had never seen this movie before, (laughs) and I thought Gerard Butler was in it. Yeah, that's right. You you had um, a Berenstein, a Mandela effect moment with this movie. Yeah, I totally thought that Gerard Butler was straight up the lead in this movie. I knew it was Amy Adams, but I thought Gerard Butler was the guy. I didn't know that Matthew Good was the the smolder man. The smolder man. I mean, yeah, like I I still think that I'm I'm here for more Matthew Good romance vehicles, uh, but. If I were to redo Leap Year, I would have made like Chris O'Dowd or an actual Irish guy the lead, something like that. Um, but yeah, no. They Why can... Chris O'Dowd though? I feel like he has to be inherently smoldery, and Chris O'Dowd doesn't have a smolder. He Chris has more O'Dowd. Of a charm. Chris O'Dowd doesn't have a smolder. He would have brought a completely different energy right. to the role, but. He does have the one thing that I think is the key to Declan that they didn't really explore in it. The grumpiness. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. going to say it. Because like, like, there's a few different hero types. There's the obvious alpha, you know, um, the beta. And then uh, the grumpy can be a beta or an alpha, but he's just different because he's not interested in being, you know, um, nice. He's like, I'm grumpy. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that he would have been good for that side of the role. Um, but I don't know. I think Chris O'Dowd can give good look. I think that Matthew Good gives better look, but I, I think at least in Bridesmaids, Chris O'Dowd got a moment or two to, to give the look. Okay. And make I have it. to go back and yeah. Bridesmaids. <laughs> Right. No, he was he was all right in that. So, shall we get into the horror pitches? Yeah, let's do it. You want to go first? Um, sure. I will go first. So, I this might end up being really long. I hope not, but uh I I don't know. I just kind of had like a real like stroke of inspiration with mine. Oh, wow. Um, I found mine very hard to do without having like a theme to connect to like last Uh, week yeah like last week i found it really hard but that's because i challenged myself and set up these rules for each movie but Mm. this one was like i don't know yeah um 
So I don't know about you, but I imagined both movies being vehicles for Matthew Good. So okay. um, I definitely had him in mind when I came up with my idea. I decided to also stick with the theme of Irish legends, but in Ooh, a slightly so different I. way. Ooh, fun. Kind of. Yeah, I, I decided, like, you know, like the last road trip one job we met, I turned that more into like a fatal attraction type of deal. Mm -hmm. This time I was like, nope, nope, nope. I've already done that. Yeah. Um, all right. So act one, Anna is a screenwriter with writer's block. She is trying to finish her script for a romantic comedy leap year. Whoa. Before the deadline yeah. or she'll be fired. Her mm -hmm. boyfriend Jeremy suggests that she go on a writer's retreat in Ireland, the setting of her film, to unplug and finish the script free of distractions. And he even offers to pay because he's a wealthy cardiologist. That's nice. What a nice mm -hmm. guy. What a, such a nice... In this version, Jeremy's a really nice boyfriend. Oh, that's good. Uh, and Anna accepts the offer. She heads to the retreat in Dingle, a coastal Irish town. Uh, when she gets there and checks in with Declan, the handsome yet mysterious innkeeper played by Matthew Good, she is she immediately notices that there's no other writers there. She's the only guest. Um, he insists, though, that they're they're delayed by the bad weather, but they're coming. Okay. She has a bad feeling, but she decides to stay because Jeremy's paying for the trip, guys. She doesn't want to disappoint him. Yeah, she's got to finish that script. She does. Uh, and then that night, after talking to Jeremy, Anna undresses in her room without knowing that Declan is watching her through a hole in a painting in the wall. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. And when she lies down to sleep, she also hears the sounds of dogs howling and barking. The next day, she asks about them uh, to Declan, but he insists he doesn't have any dogs. So that's the first. Are we getting act. into werewolf territory? No, no. Actually, okay. it's 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 different from. It's still an Irish legend, but it's different from that. So Act Two, we got continuous weird things happening every day. That Anna's in Dingle. The villagers are fortifying their doors and windows and throwing around salt and stuff. And Declan explains that they're preparing for the annual hunting party. And he tells Anna it's a tradition, but he doesn't explain further. Uh, one day, while Anna is struggling with a scene, Declan suggests taking a breath of fresh air while he shows her some local castle ruins, just like the first movie. Uh, and while there, he starts to tell her about the legend of the Wild Hunt, or what's sometimes called the Fairy Host. But these are not your friendly American Disney fairies, Anna from Boston. Mm -hmm. Some say hosts uh, were made up of ghosts and fallen angels and, yes, fairies. But they don't hunt animals. They hunted humans. They would make children join the hunt as slaves and servants and leave changelings in their Whoa. place. They'd steal women walking alone at night to be their brides. And then he kind of gives her one of those Matthew Good meaningful looks. And she asks him, are you flirting with me? Uh, and he gives her another smolder smolder and answers that it's just a story. Uh, and she asks, then what's the hunting party about? And he says, it's just a tradition. 
Uh, and so that night, Anna hears the dogs barking again, and she dreams about being chased through the woods. She's caught by Declan. They start kissing, but then she turns into a rotting corpse and then wakes up in a cold sweat. Oh, you got me. <laughs> so that's act two. Now we get into the real shit, act three. Okay, I'm ready. So in the morning, Anna tries calling Jeremy, but the line's dead. Uh, she goes out to find Declan, but he's not anywhere. She also notices that no one in the village is out. Everything is quiet. It's moody. There's fog, Silent Hill style. Um, and she goes to the telephone booth, but then that's dead too. She's in the shit now. Uh, then she hears the sound of someone crying and it's coming from the woods. So she follows it and she sees Declan in the forest clearing, but he looks different. He's like ragged and gaunt and he's filthy. His clothing is in rags. She notices that his feet are bloody. They're missing toes. And he keeps saying, take it back, take it back. Put me back to sleep. I don't want to know. And when Anna shouts his name at him, he turns to her and says, who are you? And just as he says that, the real Declan, or what Anna thought was the real Declan, steps into the clearing next to his double, and she realizes that Declan is a changeling. Whoa. She starts to hear the sound of the dogs and the stomp of horse hooves and looks to see what looks like a horde of knights mm-hmm. uh, on horses and with the hunting dogs and all of their heads are like covered by helmets. So like the costume design for this, I would want it to be like really vague. Like again, like we don't know what kind of supernatural beings the hunting party is made up, mm-hmm. but they're all badasses and they're right. here to kill. Um, and so she starts to run, they pursue her, um, we get some great action moments, like Anna's dodging them as they miss her with their swords by inches, um, but then she takes an arrow to the shoulder and decides to hide in the castle ruins, so Declan makes them stop outside, and then he goes into the ruins after her himself with a crossbow, and you get a little cat and mouse game where he alternates between threatening her and like offering his heart and making promises. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he hears something, he fires the crossbow, but then he looks out the window and sees Anna running across the field. And then we cut to Anna is back in the US and she's sitting in a test screening for leap year with Jeremy by her side. But she seems really anxious, and as she's trying to concentrate on the movie, she starts to hear the sound of barking and wind through the trees, and she says, no, no, no. But her eyes then snap open. She's no longer in the theater. She's lying back in the forest in Declan's arms, and we pan out, and we see that she's actually an old woman, but Declan is the same age as he looked, and he says, go back to sleep, Anna. And it ends. Whoa. That's scary. Yeah. So I know I said, I've said many times how much I hate It's All a Dream, but I'm ready to defend this choice in saying that 90% of the movie wasn't a dream. The only part that was a dream is that she escaped. Right. Does she, is there maybe a way to have it so that the ending is has anna 
And then we cut back to the forest and like Anna's been captured and she has a changeling. Ooh, that's a good call. Yeah, I could definitely see that being part of it. Like a changeling goes back in Anna's place. Yeah, and makes Mm -hmm. a good version of Leap Year. (laughs) Makes a great... (laughs) She looks at... She takes one look at Anna's script and is like, I know what to do with this. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah, like I like the... um, I like how heavily you lean into the Irish tradition. Oh, yeah. And folklore. I wish that there were more horror movies that used fairy folklore because some of right. it is actually really scary and like violent, not just like fairy tales and right. their violence, but like the myths around fairy people. They're not really like benevolent beings at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the new Hellboy. Oh, are there fairies in it? Mm hmm. <laughs> it wasn't a great movie. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. But um, it did have fairies in it, and it did have changelings in it. Ooh. So, there you go. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I called mine... What was the name of yours? Oh, shit. The Hunting Party. The Hunting Party. I like it. I'm calling mine Death Toll. Ooh. Ooh. And mine basically has the same first act as Leap Year. Anna flies off to Ireland to surprise. Gotta get her to Ireland. I know. Gotta get her to Ireland. But in my version, her boyfriend is a real estate agent and her plane gets diverted. So there she meets up with Declan, who's the owner of an inn. And she, he decides that he's going to help her out and drive her cross country because along the way they're going to stop at other inns because what they've heard is they heard that some American hotel fancy hotel company is coming in and buying up all the land oh shit and all the other and what declan's heard is that all the other inn owners have sold their land to this foreign person trump yes no (laughs) and uh and so he's gonna go warn them about the just in quotes the curse i didn't go into what my curse was Mm -hmm. but um it's bad okay oh boy uh, so the first B&B that they stop at is this lovely little B&B. They, they go there, they warn the people about the curse, and the people seem offended maybe a little bit, um, or they don't want to talk about it. Um, the, the two, uh, Anna and Declan, go to sleep. They wake up, but there's no breakfast. Like, <sighs> it's a bed and breakfast. It's a bed and breakfast. There should be breakfast, right? And so Anna's like, well, maybe you offended them. And they're like, okay, yeah, I guess maybe so. So... They just cook themselves breakfast and then leave. But then once they leave, we go. The camera reveals that the old couple that runs the B and B is dead. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> so at the second B and B, they go there, and Declan is like, "Hey, I'll cook dinner. You go get the berries. I'll I'll get the chicken." So Declan goes and he gets the chicken and kills it. And Anna goes to pick like blueberries or something. I don't know. She leaves the house and she comes back. And when she comes back, the family is dead. Oh, my what? God. Matthew, good. What did you do? Oh, my God. So Declan has a bloody axe in his hand, and she runs away. Ah, she's very scared. So she goes to the third. She Somehow she knows where the third house is. She goes to the third house to warn them that this madman is going to kill them. And so the third house, what they do is they set up the house with, like, Home Alone-style booby traps and they get out the hunting rifle, 
and Declan shows up. And right when Anna is about to shoot Declan, the killer comes in. What? Oh, no, Declan was a good guy? Declan was a good guy? And so the killer kills, like, the old woman or something. And then Anna's trapped in the house that she booby-trapped. Oh, no. And so she has to, like, fight her way out of this house and, like, work her way around the booby traps while, you know, while fighting this killer. And so then she she goes and she meets up with Jeremy. And Jeremy's like, okay, I'll take you to the cops. So they go to the sheriff's office. But guess what? What? Oh, he did. Oh, he did it? Oh, oh he did. No, he did. Oh, he did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he did. Big time. So they go in there and it's like the hitcher. I know, very, very good. But dead people everywhere. Who's who's doing it? So Jeremy lets it slip somehow, where he like makes mention about one of the other B and Bs, and he's Jeremy? really the killer. Jeremy is the killer. Adam Scott, full blown serial killer mode. Declan shows up, and Anna and Declan escape. They run away and go to a church where there's a wedding. But Jeremy shows up and full-on starts slaughtering everyone. Oh, it's a red wedding. Oh, yeah. Big time. So Jeremy is killing everyone. Then in the, in the kerfuffle, which is a great way to describe a bloody massacre. Uh, Jeremy. <laughs> That's a load of malarkey. Right? <laughs> Jeremy kills Declan. Oh, no. Anna escapes. And he tracks her down, and just as he's about to kill her, Declan reappears. Because he wasn't really dead. He was only mostly dead. Oh. So he reappears, and just in that moment, um, when he reappears, he distracts Jeremy just enough so that, like, Anna can reach for some weapon that was nearby Mm -hmm. all along. You go, girl. She kills Jeremy, and then the two walk out of the bloody chapel, and, you know, they are... Holding hands. Oh wait, so that was really just a long meet cute for yeah. them? Oh. Yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, I my... like that. There's romance in your horror. Well, yeah, because they bond together over the, you know, over the. It's like speed. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember they say in speed that couples get together because of intense experiences. Yeah. But then they break up before cruise control. Well. For Death Toll 2, I'll have to figure that one out later. (laughs) We write these movies by the seats of our pants, so I was not thinking ahead for Death Toll 2. I really hope that Matthew Good will also be in Death Toll 2. Oh, yeah. Matthew Good's going to be in every movie that I make from now on. (laughs) I'll I'll cast, even if he's like, he'll be like like, um, John Ratzenberger in the Pixar movies. Or, um, uh, I always find a spot for him. A- Andy, is it Andy Circus? Is the guy who does all the motion control stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need he- to get an Andy Circus <laughs> version of Matthew Good. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I, I think you should have Matthew Good play like an Andy Circus type role, where he's just a bunch of people in um, one of those suits. Okay, I thought you wanted me to get someone else to play. Like, we would mocap Andy Serkis <laughs> into being Matthew Good. <laughs> that would I haven't heard that shorthand, but I like it. Have you ever heard mocap? Well, I mean, motion capture, right. yes, but I didn't know about the mocap, mocap. Shorthand, yeah. shorthand. Big mocap fan. Big mocap fan. Um, yeah, I don't know if Matthew Good would appreciate 
uh, using a different actor to mocap right. him. <laughs> um, no, no, he needs to be able to do his own stairs. Uh, all right. Oh, before we get into Stoker, other than every single person, who did you want to kill in this movie? I wanted to kill those three people who stole her luggage. Oh, the travelers. Yeah. yeah. Why did they do that? They were so mean for mm-hmm. no reason. Tell yeah. Me. I I don't know. I think again, another missed opportunity to really give us a peek into gypsy life. Right. Um because yeah, and weirdly enough, there are a bunch of Irish travelers in Texas too. You know, like but yeah, mm-hmm. like I think that those people were supposed to be Irish gypsies who took her luggage but yeah they they were dicks yeah big time yeah for me it would be the italian couple because i found their kissing to be very gratuitous for the dinner table like yeah i don't mind if they want to throw down and in private because i mean i appreciate seasoned romance i don't think that all romance needs to be between young people Sure. Um, but I just didn't, and, and then like pressuring, like pressuring everybody into making out. It's just like whatever. Like I don't know if Italians found this offensive, but apparently a bunch of Irish people found it offensive. Oh yeah, Irish people hated this movie. Yeah. Um, but they did portray them basically as drinkers and fighters and pretty much all the all the major irish stereotypes they really yeah, just they... hit them in this movie like they were doing a home run right oh did you know that the people who wrote this movie also wrote can't hardly wait did you ever see that movie i don't think i did i think i must have watched it dozens of time as a kid because it was one of those movies in the early aughts or maybe it came out in like 99 or something that was about a big high school party. Is that the one that M. Night Shyamalan ghost wrote? Um, no, he ghost wrote She's All That. Oh, yeah. Um, That's about the same thing. But yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen either one. Yeah, no, I mean, the writing duo, they've written movies that I thought were funny. They did Josie and the Pussycats, too. Okay. Which is like a parody of the music industry. Um, but, but yeah, no, that, that's just a side note. Right. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Stoker. Stoker. Are you stoked, bro? Stoked for Stoker. Whatever, Stoker. <laughs> <laughs> this movie. Okay. Totally different experience from Leap Year. Um, not just genre wise. So... We start off the movie with India Stoker standing by the side of the road. She's looking at something in the grass while she recites a poetic monologue and voiceover that she ends with, to become an adult is to become free. And then we cut to India running around the gothic Stoker estate barefoot. It's her 18th birthday. She finds a present box in a tree and inside it, there's a key. Uh, then uh, India's mother Evelyn gets a call that India's father Richard has just died in a car crash. Uh, and then at the funeral, Evelyn and India meet Charlie, Richard's never before seen or talked about brother. 
Uncle Charlie claims that he's been traveling all over the world and he'd planned to stop in to see the family. Evelyn tells India that Charlie is staying there for a while. Then India sees Charlie arguing with Mrs. McGarrick, the caretaker, housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, then she disappears. Uh, one day, Evelyn wants to go out for ice cream, but India wants to stay home. So Charlie goes with her instead, and they seem to be getting more intimate. Charlie then asks India to take the ice cream down to the basement freezer. He also continues to try to befriend her while also seducing Evelyn. Then uh, great aunt Gwendolyn shows up to comfort the family, but seems upset to see Charlie at the house. She tries to get Evelyn alone to talk to her, but Evelyn dismisses her. Aunt Jen then gives India her cell phone and asks her to call. Charlie asks Aunt Jen what hotel she's staying at. And when Aunt Jen gets in her taxi, she wants to be driven to any other hotel, but the one she named. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Aunt Jen realizes that her cell phone was lost, uh, and then she decides to go out to the payphone where she's cornered by Charlie. He strangles her. Um, Meanwhile, India goes down to the basement to get the ice cream and finds Mrs. McGarrick's body there. She realizes Charlie is a murderer, and he wanted her to find that body. I think that's pretty clear that he wanted her to find it. Uh, then after school, India stabs a bully in the hand with a pencil and she's witnessed by young Han Solo, AKA Whip Taylor. Han Solo was not a great movie in my opinion, but I was like, it's young Han Solo. He's in this. Um, that night India witnesses Charlie kiss Evelyn and cup her breast And so India goes to find Whip at a local diner and she makes him follow her into the woods. They make out and she makes him cup her breast in the same way. Uh, India then bites Whip and she wants to go home, but then he tries to rape her. That's when Charlie shows up. He breaks Whip's neck with his belt while Whip is on top of India. And then Charlie and India bury Whip in the garden. While taking a shower afterwards and reliving the memory, India appears to be sobbing, but then the camera pans out to reveal she is masturbating instead. And she is loving it. I think she basically finishes right as she's thinking about him being killed. Yeah, the next snap. The next snap really did it for her. You know, not kink same, but I ain't gonna shame Mm -hmm. Um, A few days later, India discovers the key that she got for her birthday unlocks a drawer in her dad's desk. And there she finds pictures of young Richard, Charlie, and a third brother, Jonathan. What? Ooh. She also finds dozens of letters from Charlie to her during his travels where he details his love for her. This child he's never met. (laughs) Quickly, she realizes, though, that all of the letters have the same return in address as a mental institution. Charlie reveals to India that he murdered Jonathan and was kept in a mental institution as a result. He got released on India's 18th birthday. Richard then tried to give Charlie money and make him go away to this apartment he set up in New York. Um, but Charlie wants to see India. Uh, so Charlie bludgeons Richard with a rock, blunt force trauma, mm-hmm. um, and makes it look like a car accident. 
he then, uh, after he's related this incident, gives India a pair of stiletto heels. Uh, it seems like now they're in a relationship and Charlie uh, helps her come up with an alibi for the night that Whip disappeared. Uh, at this point, Evelyn witnesses Charlie telling India about the apartment and almost kissing her. So uh, Evelyn summons Charlie to her room for a talking to. And she basically suggests that she knows what's up, where he really came from, that he probably killed Richard. And she tries to convince him to take her and spare her daughter. Because mm-hmm. although you get the sense that she's jealous of India, she still doesn't want her to go off with her creepy uncle. Right. Um, then Charlie starts strangling Evelyn and he calls India to come over and watch. Uh, India comes up to them and she shoots, uh, Charlie with a sniper rifle. Uh, after that, she leaves the house in Charlie's convertible. And as she's driving down the road, she gets stopped by a cop and, what she does is she stabs that cop in the neck with garden shears and he stumbles off to the side of the road. And we're right back at the beginning of the movie where she is watching the police officer die as she's on the side of the road. And so we've come full circle. Yeah. The end. The end. What a movie. What a thrill ride. Oh, it is. I, yeah. And Speaking of Thrill Ride, did you know this movie was written by Wentworth Miller of Prison Break fame? I did. I don't think I've ever seen Wentworth Miller in any movie or TV show, but I did know that it was written by him. He was in Prison Break. You know, he surprises me because he's not just a pretty face. Like, the boy's got some smarts. (laughs) For sure, yeah. The first thing I did after I watched this movie was like... What else has this guy written? And I don't think he's written any other movies. Maybe not. He wrote this one under a pseudonym, so yeah. it's possible that he's he's written and submitted more scripts under pseudonyms, and they just haven't gotten the traction that Stoker did. Right. Um, yeah, how did you feel about this movie? Did it gross you out? Well, I'd seen Stoker once before, and I knew that it had these incestuous undertones Mm -hmm. but i'd forgotten that it was actually very graphic and explicit about them right or well i'd really remembered so although i didn't mention it in my summary there's a scene where uncle charlie and india are doing a duet on the piano i was just gonna ask and it's really unclear whether or not he is touching her like going to second base basically while she's playing but it definitely appears that like she not only does she climax thinking about the murder, but it looks like she climaxes too when they're at the piano together. I think, um, yeah, I don't think that he's touching her, but I think that she's it's spiritually erotic. Yeah, she's <laughs> like a teenager and she's feeling all these emotions and she's confused and she's getting all swirled up. 
Um, yeah, and then the spider, the spider crawls out. Oh, yeah, the spider crawls between her legs, and it's a daddy long legs. Right. So it it has that connotation as well. And also, I think it's like a call, again, a callback to, so there's like, in classic film, there's daddy long legs, the movie or the story, which is a girl is given an anonymous benefactor and then she falls in love with that anonymous benefactor as an adult so i think that um it's a call like even like a right. very a very sophisticated callback to that story and i think that's how charlie wants to be seen right as right. this daddy long leg style mysterious benefactor with whom india will fall in love I think, or it, does that seem like his goal? Like, I really feel like he does want so. her yeah, to yeah. romantically be in love with her. But the movie, to me, didn't make it, not that it needed to, it, it's better the more ambiguous it is, but how did this obsession with India even begin? Because he was in the mental institution right. way before she was born. I think it's like a psychic connection. Like, he knows. He knows that the genes have got to be passed down somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I think he he picks her out because he knows that she's got this same like this same serial killer gene. Right. Is she are they both serial killers or is she just autistic? No, I think she's a serial killer. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, they they make it pretty clear by the end that she's well on her way to some yeah. some serial killing. Um No, I think like her weirdness is um i don't know i just i like the fact that the dad kind of like senses that she's got this gene in her oh he tried to dexter her yeah like like so he gives her the ability to control it and use it to her advantage and he kind of like sets charlie up in that way like he like somehow the dad knows that charlie's gonna come back into their life Mm. And that he's like, well, I can't beat Charlie, but my daughter can. Maybe. Or yeah, he just doesn't want her to turn into a killer. Um, I also find it interesting that, or maybe it's not that interesting, but rom-com royalty Dermot Rolroni is Richard. He is the titular best friend from my best friend's wedding. So oh. every time I I see him, I think like, oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not in the movie too much, but... Yeah, he really isn't. I feel like if he'd been in the movie anymore, we would have gotten an opportunity to see him play the cello. Because that's... Is that what Because he, he, he can. Oh, okay. Um, And he can actually play it. But yeah, I feel like he tries to work it in where he can. Yeah. I um, love that line where it's like, of course I love you. I just gotta love you a little less. Like... That yeah, line that was delivery delivered and everything well. is really good. That was delivered really well. Um, I also feel like, I mean, Nicole Kidman did incredible work in this movie. I feel like she always does incredible work, but because she's such a pretty face, usually gets, right. you know, disregarded. And I feel like she was channeling like Shelly Winters, like she was really channeling a lot of like great melodramatic performance for yeah. like this character of Evelyn and then when you get to her monologue where she tells Mia Vasek 
Kowska, I hope the world tears you apart. Yeah. Like it's, I and I really like that they filmed that as an extreme close up right. too, um, it, because it it looked it looked splendid. There were a lot of really great dissolves in the movie too. Like there's a dissolve where she's brushing yeah. her hair and then her hair turns into grass. Uh, and it's it's a transition into a hunting scene. Right. Um, so, like, visually, the movie looked incredible. Yeah, there's a lot of great cross-cutting in this movie mm. where, like, even the beginning of the movie is sort of setting you up for the end. And um, just throughout the whole movie, we kind of get, like, glimpses of, like, what's going to happen and then we cut to the aftermath and then Mm. the aftermath sort of informs us about what actually did happen um the masturbating scene in the shower is kind of the biggest one of that where it's like what they just left the boy there i guess and then they kind of right go and show you the aftermath and her in the shower and then she's thinking about all that other stuff so there's a lot of good cross-cutting in this movie a lot of like good foreshadowing and tension and like showing you something that's kind of gonna happen but then teasing it and letting you think about like ooh, what actually did happen i think that the cross-cutting really worked because it it didn't it wasn't just like oh like suspenseful and in that you're trying to understand like what actually happened like there's that but i think like you're also trying to like check in and figure out how does India actually feel about this? And the answer is for the most part, she's nonplussed. She's not really like, even with the discovery of Mrs. McGarrick in the freezer, she continues to sit on the ground and eat ice cream. Right. Like she's not shocked or like when she, hears through the ground the the ringing of the cell phone you think like oh is she perturbed by this is she upset because you think she's sobbing in the shower and then no it turns out she's like super turned on by all of this but Um, she's 18 y'all it's okay now (laughs) yeah but i like i like how this whole movie kind of plays out like a serial killer uh origin story like mm. her soup, like she's got this superpower. It's like, uh, did you ever watch the TV show Hannibal? Yes. Yeah. Did you, did you watch the whole seasons, all of them? Uh, I haven't seen the entire series. I think where it jumped the shark for me is there was this kaleidoscope lesbian sex scene. And I was like, I can't with how stylized. Like, I love, right. I love movies that are stylized, and I yeah. love Stoker for being stylized. But there was a certain point where I was like, Brian Fuller, like, what are you doing? Yeah, season three really like jumped off a cliff for me. I don't, I didn't right. finish season three. But, but so there was something in the earlier seasons that you felt like reminded you of this. Yeah, just how like every serial killer has a gimmick and a sort of origin story, and you know they all have like the reason why they do things, and mm-hmm. it's always kind of connected. And all the killers are like kind of self-aware, but they can't control themselves enough to like stop killing, so they have to you know like i'm gonna make this person transform them into an animal and i'm gonna take their skeleton and make them go like right look like a bear 
It's interesting that, like, you say self-aware, and I feel like India doesn't actually become self-aware of herself as a killer until she meets Charlie. Right. It's only when she meets Charlie that it suddenly makes sense to her why her dad was trying to Harry's code her. What's Harry's code? Oh, in Dexter, Harry's code is what Dexter follows to not be bad, basically. Good. Um, but like the cross cutting is when um, when Charlie is putting the heels on India mm. and then it cuts to the hunting and the dad is like looking at her and kind of gives her that head shake like, not yet. Mm-hmm. And then later when she goes to shoot him, it cuts back to the hunting and the dad's like, okay, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, they, they did a good job of of bringing the memory scenes up in a way yeah. that, that worked. Like, I feel like there's definitely a right way and a wrong way to do flashbacks. Right. And they did it in a way that felt, like, very, like, dreamy and yeah. organic. And the killing of the younger brother. Like, because you're uh, having a yeah. kid kill a kid. It was, I thought it was really well done how they, like had the kid in the hole and you know what's going to happen but then they kind of like cut away from it for a long time and then right. when they finally cut back to it he's just like making dirt angels right and she sand. like does the same thing on her bed at one point too where she's like just like oh sliding yeah. her arms around to the metronome yeah yeah something like that so yeah, um, no, they. I think they. I I do think they they staged that scene really well. It did like like in the third act of the movie. I feel like I was like, yeah, this is a Korean director because it it really steered into melodrama. Like right. I I won't make any generalizations about Korean culture or Korean directors. I've just watched a handful of Korean dramas that are by their nature more melodramatic, but it seems to be something that like they're more comfortable with in stories, like going big on emotions and big yeah. on melodrama, like a Douglas Cirque film or something like that, where like nowadays, like I feel like for an American film, normally by like an American director, emotions are a lot more muted. Right. Or like drama doesn't play out like in loud, splashy, colorful melodrama. But here it does. Right. But I love it. I'm, no, I'm, I'm totally. <laughs> I want more melodrama, to be honest, yeah. in if my movies. There's no, I, don't, I can't imagine someone watching this movie and then in the third act, like. Either you're on board already or you're not. Right, right. And if you are on board, might as well, like, dip into it, you know, even more. Might as well go all in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because some movies just don't... By the end, they just kind of peter out, and it's... Right. ...boring. But this movie, like, by the end, I was still... Oof. Yeah, I was no, still it, being it thrown curveballs. It, it and, ramps yeah. it up. Um, did you ever see the movie Lucy? I've never seen Lucy. With Scarlett Johansson. There's this really cool gimmick in Lucy that they do at the beginning where, like, they show her and it's, like, a gazelle. And then they show some guy and it's, like, a cheetah. And Mm -hmm. it's, like, whoa, like, she's the prey and he's the predator. And Uh they have this cool little gimmick that they do. And then they just drop it. And I hate in movies when they, like, have something cool at the beginning of the movie. And then they just, like forget that it's a thing until Mm -hmm. it's convenient 
The one thing that I really love about this movie is that they really use the uh, sound effects. And they use oh, the that, Foley like, effects? Yeah. The Foley effects in this movie are insane. Like, that guy must have had so much fun. Amazing, yeah. Like, whoever they got, they got the perfect guy because he knew exactly the right amount of, like, levels to put everything at. Um, right. There were a few, like, scenes where the sound of the scene was really unsettling. Like, the egg cracking yeah. gave me major Angel Heart vibes. Um, oh, what there was another one though. Oh, the squishy foley effect when she was um sharpening the bloody oh, pencil. Oh, yeah, that was great. That that was really great. I love the belt removing scene where she's not in it, but oh, when, when yeah. Uncle Charlie removes his belt, it makes a sheeny, it, yeah, leather and the camera that... like spins around with the belt to like, yeah, uh, it's I, so good. I thought that was that was really good too, but yeah, the sound effects are amped up to. 11 the entire movie it's not like they introduced this weird thing where she's like i can hear things other people can't and then they only use it you know sparsely in the movie right like they really every single scene has something in the movie that's like jarring you upsetting you making you feel out of place mm -hmm. um yeah yeah like i i mentioned like i felt like Leap Year had a lot of stuff that I normally consider good and they just didn't work to earn those things. And I feel like Stoker was like, we've got these tools and we're working them. Yeah. We are working them, all of them, like the heels, everything. Like it, it definitely didn't, like it earned every device, every trope that it used pretty yeah. much. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the movie, the movie really kind of. Um, I, I guess some could say it's a little on the nose, but I liked how, how like ballsy the movie was, just in terms of like, yeah, we know that this is a metaphor. We're gonna shove it in your face. Take right. It. Yeah. Like I don't mind if something is heavy-handed like that, as long as it's also, as you said ballsy right like i think we've talked about this before where like it really like means more to me to see a movie just go for it yeah than to necessarily go for it well um or yeah just or to to even have the other pieces working like if you're just out there like i think texas chainsaw is like that where like Texas Chainsaw 2, not everything worked. Right. But they had fun. They went for it. You they know? Did go for it. Yeah, that Bill Mosley performance. Right. Oof. Whereas, like, Leap Year, very safe. Right. And they didn't win anything by being safe. Yeah. They just failed to earn all the good stuff. Um, yeah. No, oh, the other thing I really loved about this movie, and I'm not sure if it's something that, that you really care as much about but the costuming and the set design mm -hmm. was so top-notch like i don't know how they found these locations right. or like even like the stuff in the house like the old freezer and and everything was staged really beautifully um and and like brought more to the story like I loved how Nicole Kidman's bedroom had a ton of oh, plants yeah. in right. it. So it kind of looks almost like this bower that she's staged in like it or like she's like 
a carnivorous plant. Like, I don't know, Ooh. something, something like that. But I felt like it was just, it was staged really beautifully. Um, every single one of India's outfits were uniquely unsettling, like doll clothes <laughs> that yeah. were made into human clothes. <laughs> Um, yeah, every, everything about this movie looks beautiful. It's not just, like, the film itself looks beautiful. Even the but, like, sunglasses. Said, yeah, ah, oh, I love that image of her wearing Uncle Charlie's sunglasses that are really mm-hmm. bad sunglasses. Um, yeah, she just looks so cool. Yeah, Mia Vasakowska, Vasakowski. Vasakowski. Um, I actually, even though I looked up how to pronounce her name, I'm still failing. I didn't um, try. But I think that she's really, really, like, Matthew Good nails it, but she's just incredible in this movie. And um, it really, like, I don't know if she did Jane Eyre before or after this but it just reinforced to me how great she is at playing ethereal otherworldly um slightly autistic women (laughs) yeah i i think she's she's really good at that where she's she is a beautiful girl but like it's like she's able to inhabit something where it's like like she doesn't, she's not really beautiful. She's not ugly. She just looks very other. Right. No, I think ethereal is the great, uh, really good word for it because her performance in this whole movie is kind of like, it's really muted, but it, there's so much going on. She's like an alien studying humans. Yes. Did you ever see Under the Skin? I didn't, I, I read oh. the book, but I, I heard that the movie was way better and I want to watch the movie because it changes some important themes in the book. Um, yeah, like the, book, the movie's real good. Yeah, the, the thing that the movie does is it takes away her like motivation right. for all of the stuff. Like It keeps that part completely mysterious. And I think that it's better because in the book, this isn't a spoiler because it's not in the movie, but in the book, she's doing what she's doing because she's basically collecting human meat for a farm. Right. Yeah. So, and then it's just like an extended metaphor for like veganism or something and Mm -hmm. how it's cruelty to animals is wrong. We're like, I, I don't know. I don't really necessarily... I do care about that, but I don't care about it right. in that movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, I didn't read the book, but I saw the movie. And the movie definitely has that sort of, like, otherworldly, human-ish type character mm-hmm. studying other humans in order to know how to act. And Do you think Mia Vasakowska would have been a better alien than Scarlett Johansson? No, I thought Scarlett or you thought Johansson, she was a good alien? Yeah. That it's by far her best performance. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I think Scarlett Johansson's really underrated in some of the Marvel type movies because mm. she has that X factor that just like she can effortlessly spout out comic book mumbo jumbo and make mm. it interesting. Like some people just can't do it. You know, who like, do you think is bad at it? Jennifer Lawrence. 
Oh no! Really <laughs> oh no! Uh, Shots in, fired in, at Jen Law. <laughs> yeah, she's really bad in Hunger Games, and she's really, really bad in the X Men movies. Uh, but she's great in like indie movies that she does. You know? Yeah, like, you know, controversial opinion. When I saw it, I wasn't that into the Silver Linings Playbook. I like Silver Linings Playbook. You know, I yeah. would be I would be willing to reevaluate it if you wanted to do a Bradley Cooper episode where we did that in Midnight Me Train. I was going to say Midnight Me Train. Yeah, that movie's we talked so about underrated. that before. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that movie's amazing. Yeah, no. We we <laughs> definitely share an opinion on this, but yeah. I am willing to set aside my silver linings grudge to give it a new try. To give it a second chance. Yeah. Um, so that is a potential future episode. Gotcha. Yeah, we'll have to do that one for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, Stoker was a, a lot of fun. I, yeah, I want, I like the the gothic fairy tale yeah. aspect of it. And it makes me want to watch Crimson Peak, actually. Oh, yeah. Have you never seen I've it? I've never seen oh, it. It's all right. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as good. I have it to go didn't back have and Matthew Good it. in it. That's why. Right. Uh, you'll have to go back and rewatch it because I really like every element. That feels like a, another catnip movie for Brett where it's like, Crimson Peak? Yeah, Crimson Peak. Everything about that movie I love. Uh But then I get out of that movie and I'm like, meh. Yeah, so so, so I guess, so with Crimson Peak being your leap year, what do you think it is that made it not work even though it had your catnip? Oof, I have to go back and rewatch it because I saw it when it came out in theaters, but it just, I don't know. I think... Maybe it was a little too slow, mm. you know, just a little too, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't honestly say until I go back and rewatch it, but it's been okay. one that I've been meaning to go back and rewatch. Got so, it. Interesting. Hmm. Shall we do Peaches? Yes. Remix? Yes. What's yours? Uh, mine is called Family Reunion. Oh, nice. I like that title. Yeah. And it's about India is a very sheltered girl and she's homeschooled and she basically Mm. never leaves her big mansion and she's never met her family. And so then when she turns 18, she's finally allowed to go to the Stoker family reunion. And she's been warned by her mom several times about the family tradition. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) And so the tradition is... That all the Stoker men get to perform in contests to see who will be the first one to take India out on a date. Wait, they're related to her, though. I know. The Stokers are a messed up family. Wait, but this is a rom-com? Yeah, it's a rom-com. With her... Okay, okay, keep going. Okay, so India decides she's going to enter the competition for herself. Ah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So here, here are some of the contests. Um, it goes from like not creepy to really creepy. Uh, the first one is like an ice cream sundae eating contest. Uh, so it's like, hey, whoever finishes the bowl first, right? Um, you've got a skeet shooting contest. Right? India is so, going to rock that one. Yeah, India is definitely good at that one. And then here's where it starts to get a little weird is you have like a, an undressing slash redressing contest where... Like, maybe they have to undress a little bit down to, like, their underwear and then, like, run 
to a bat, like a baseball bat, and like spin around the baseball bat and then run back to their clothes. And while they're all dizzy, they have to put their clothes on or something. Wow, these stokers. I know, crazy, right? Uh, but I had to basically fit in the fact that there's belts in mm, Stoker, mm-hmm. and I wanted to have one of the contests like be belts. Um, and Charlie wears uh, Richard's clothes ah. in the movie. So it's like, clothes. Uh, then the next one is a sand body sculpting contest where each man has to sculpt like a body out of sand Mm. and they, um, and they do it like super sexy. Oh. And so like they make, and maybe it's like mermaids, like they have to make a mermaid or something. But but a sexy mermaid. sexy mermaid. Uh, and they get, they get really into it. And then the last one, which is like the creepiest one is the pedicure contest. Oh no. <laughs> Where they each have to right get. Right out of the Lolita like, playbook. <laughs> right. They're each, uh, they're each paired up with like their own sister or something. And they have to like give their own sister a pedicure. And there's lots of like blowing on toes and stuff. And India has to. <laughs> I like to... that you worked feet into your script. Oh yeah, definitely. For sure. <laughs> And India has to give, uh, what was it in the movie, Aunt Sally? Aunt Jen. Aunt Jen, yeah. So India has to give Aunt Jen a pedicure, and she's got to, like, get all, like, like sexy with her aunt, and it's really gross. Um, and so as the contests get more and more creepy, she meets up with Uncle Charlie, who gives her more and more tips and tricks to win mm. the contest. And Uncle Charlie gets more and more, like, into her and she gets more and more like into uncle charlie because uncle charlie's not blood related well i don't know so and and one of the weird things is like so this movie is going to be really lighthearted, uh-huh. and so like the dad is the reigning champ and the dad is like oh he likes to go on dates with his daughters <laughs> yep and so the dad is going to be like super into winning and he's going to be um i don't know just like really like in your face about everything like very kind oh, of... Oh, that dad. Yeah, that dad. And there's going to be, like, lots of room for, like, kissing cousin jokes and stuff like that. And, um, you know, like, all of our cousins can have, like, different deformities because they're all inbred. Oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> at the end of the movie, uh, India wins. And when India wins... Thank God. Charlie leaves. And, and as for her 18th birthday... She finds out that for her birthday present, she's adopted. Oh, God. Thank God. Thank God. So India finds out she's adopted, and she gets in a car and drives to Uncle Charlie, who's walking on the road, and he's kind of, like, sad that, you know, he didn't get to, like, win a date with his niece. And then sexy niece. (laughs) And then they go to an ice cream shop for their very first date. Aw, that's cute. Right. So it's called Family Reunion, and it's about the Stoker family reunion (laughs) tradition of all the men trying to date their own blood relative. That is amazing. And I feel like it would actually be hilarious. Right. Yeah. In the way that this is done, it's all lighthearted and silly and like, it, it makes sense. So it all fits. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I. I'm... It's like the hills have eyes meets. Um, um, Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I. I like that. I like that flavor. Man, can you imagine trying to turn the hill ha- hills have eyes into a rom com? Maybe um, we will. That will be a challenge. It's too bad that nuclear holocaust isn't a theme. 
that's shared uh, between. <laughs> why not? I'm I, sure we can find one post-apocalyptic type. There is. Um, well, there's some zomcoms. Um, sure, well, there's sure. actually more than one zomcom, but post-apocalyptic zomcom is uh, Warm Bodies with Nicholas Holt. Never seen it. It's okay. okay. Um, but you know, I I feel like Nicholas Holt made me believe that. I could find love with a sexy zombie, so he did okay. Yeah, so yeah. he did his job. He did He's his a job. Good actor. He is. I'm about that boy. Okay. Because <laughs> you know I he, was, he was in yeah, a movie yeah. called About That Boy. About <laughs> a boy. About a boy. Um, yeah. Uh, so I based mine on. I'm gonna just be honest that I lifted. Pretty much the whole plot of my movie wholesale from an old, from 2006, I think, Korean drama Whoa. called Bad Family. Unlike Martin, Martin Scorsese, I'm comfortable with admitting that I've ripped off a Korean creative product. He's not comfortable admitting that. Well, he... did he? Isn't the Departed is basically a ripoff of a Korean movie, right? Like yeah. Internal Affairs or mm-hmm. something like Infernal that, affairs. or Infernal Affairs. Ooh. But there's been like a few. Like Hollywood has done this a few times yeah. until they finally were just like, you know what, Park Chan Wook, you should just come over here and right. start making movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so mine does come from a pre-existing creative product. Go watch Bad Family. It's fun. Um, So the name of my movie is called Thoughts and Prayers. Act one, the Stoker family are the wealthy and successful owners of a pharmaceutical empire. As the entire family is leaving the big Gothic estate, they get into a major car crash that kills all members of the family, except the youngest, the five-year-old son, Jonathan. Jonathan ends up with amnesia. Mrs. McGarrick, a friend of the family and partner in the company, wants to help little Jonathan, who's still in shock and he doesn't remember anything. So she contacts Charlie, played by Matthew Good, uh, and he runs a business hiring himself and others out as fake relatives for funerals and weddings. So Mm. Mrs. McGarrick tells him she wants him to assemble an entire family and live as them with the kid for a period of time. He tells her she's crazy, but then he ends up accepting the job because he really needs the money. Yeah, gotta get that dough. Gotta get that dough. That same day, India is on her way to her job at McDonald's when she accidentally hits Charlie's car. They argue about whose fault it is, but India, she's too poor to pay him back. She needs to save money to take care of her little brothers. Um, And then Charlie offers India the role of Jonathan's older sister, and she accepts. Gotcha. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so we both worked around the incest in creative ways. <laughs> uh, next, he finds someone to play Evelyn, Jonathan's mom. He settles on Cherry, a part-time stripper and full-time con artist. Cherry is coarse and has a high voice like Fran Drescher, but in the role of Evelyn, she changes completely. I felt like this would be amazing for Nicole Kidman if she'd get yeah. to like oscillate between a dirty stripper and Evelyn. Right. I just, I'm, I'm for it. Uh, And then for the dad, Charlie loops in his brother Richard, a poor cellist who was kicked out of the symphony orchestra after he dumped the concert master. Uh, And then Charlie takes the part of the uncle, of course. 
so act two, we've got some fake Stoker family shenanigans. Uh, they have some trouble fitting into the roles at first. Right. And uh, Jonathan, he really takes to India because she's got the most experience because she's got brothers. Uh, and Charlie, he's impressed. And he and India, they begin to have some banter. Uh, and then Cherry also takes to Richard, uh, even though Richard is bad at playing the dad. Um, and the dad was an avid hunter and Richard's never held a gun. So he's just not good at it. Cherry, though, she's trying to hide the fact that she's not cultured by not using her real voice around Richard. Right. So she's like partially leaning into the act. Um, but they start to get better at their roles and they each grow closer to Jonathan. And then the two couples, they start to get more intimate. Uh, but because Charlie and India are playing uncle and niece, they're not really able <laughs> to be open about their attraction because right. they need to play for Jonathan that they're relatives. Um, after a near kiss, when they go down to the basement freezer to get ice cream, they start to avoid each other. But then one day, Charlie spots India playing on the piano and during a duet together, they eventually, you know, they kiss and embrace. So here we go. Now we're in act three. Mrs. McGarrett gets a call from Gwendolyn Stoker, Aunt Jen, the real Richard's estranged sister and the new owner of the pharmaceutical company as ordered by Richard's will. She wants to pull the plug on the fake family and take full custody of Jonathan. So the fake stokers, they've really grown to love this kid, but they realize it's for the best that he probably goes back to his real family. Uh, Jonathan's also starting to get his memories back and they worry he's going to hate them when he realizes they're not his actual family. Um, And then Aunt Jen comes to the estate to take Jonathan away and we have like a tearful goodbye. As Aunt Jen drives away, Charlie gets a call from McGarrick frantically asking if Jonathan's with Aunt Jen. Then he tells her that he is... And she freaks out because she's just learned through private investigators that Aunt Jen caused the car crash. That killed the Stoker family because she wanted full control of the company. And now she's going to probably kill Jonathan so that the company doesn't pass to him when he's of age. So the fake family, and they're now like a real family. They've been through some shit. Um, they, They get together. They work to rescue Jonathan and get Aunt Jen arrested. During the process, though, they all reveal that they aren't actually Jonathan's relatives, but it doesn't matter because Jonathan knows and he loves them anyway. And we get a sweet epilogue with all the main characters having a picnic on the Stoker estate. They're no longer dressed as their pretend roles. They're laughing and having fun. And Jonathan and India's little brothers are playing, too. The end. So that's based on a real movie? So there's a Korean drama called Bad Family. And the part of the plot that it's based on is the main character does run a business where he he pretends to be fake relatives hmm. uh, for weddings and funerals. This is actually a big thing in Asia. Right. Um, I haven't heard of it here in the U.S., but in Asian countries, I've heard that it's like actually a successful business type. Um, and similar to this, there's a kid whose family gets killed 
And then this guy is hired out to get together a bunch of people right. to play the kid's family. And similarly, he's playing the uncle and the girl he likes is playing the niece and they Whoa. start to fall in love. Um, and then I also think in that the car crash was caused by somebody right. who wanted the family dead. Um, but other than that, I just, you know, filled yeah. in the blank with Stoker facts. Sure. But yeah. No, I like that's, it. That's where that came from. Yeah. So not totally original, but no, fun. But it's yeah. still, yeah, you got to get those those Stoker facts in there. Got to get those Stokers in. And yeah. I think that this would be a really good role for Matthew Good because right. I feel like he's the best when he's playing a character who's not um, a complete face, you know? Like he does a good heel like right. he did in Stoker. Um, but like he needs to be a character or, or he's really great with characters that aren't like all like good, you know, yeah, like maybe like Ozymandias, like Ozymandias, like he, he plays good duplicitous characters, yeah. I think. So if his job were to lie about who he is to pretend to be someone else, but then still be somebody who can be the object of our empathy and appreciation right. because he's helping someone I feel like that's like a real sweet spot for Matthew yeah. Good as a protagonist. No, I agree. I like his duplicitous nature. Mm-hmm. Whenever he's being a bad guy. Oh yeah, no, he's yeah. he's really good at that. Yeah. So, who is your crush from this movie? Well, there's not too many people to pick from from this movie. There's really only three people. Yeah, honestly, yeah, it's really just three people, and yeah. I'd be surprised if young Han Solo really got to you here. No. Whip. I really like, yeah, Whip, what a name. Um, I really liked India. I liked everything she did in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. Um, yeah, I was drawn in by everything she did. I was... You know, where, where was, most people would probably freak out that there was a body in the freezer. She's just, like, chilling, eating some ice cream. No big deal. Mm. Um, I don't know. There was just something about her. Something about her calm nature that really, yeah, I liked it. I liked it when she put those sunglasses on. She looked super cool. She did look super cool. Yeah. How about you? Who was your stoker crush? My Stoker crush, controversially, I would actually say that it's Uncle Charlie because yeah. I feel like in horror movies and noir, there aren't enough fatal males. Right. Like, there's a lot of fatal females, and by the end of Stoker, um, uh, India pretty much joins the ranks of fatal females, but very, very rarely do you see the fatal male who acts in kind of the same way. And right. I, I tend to find those movies very interesting. Just like I love a grumpy romantic protagonist, I love a fatal male in uh, horror and thriller movies. Right. Yeah, they don't come along too often, but... Right. Yeah. No, he um, Matthew Good makes a good fatal male. Fatal. Om fatal. fatal. I never heard that phrase until you said it earlier. Yeah, it makes sense. Femme fatale, homme fatale. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. 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 All right. So you got any little love bites? Little love bites? 
I've got a couple. Okay. So we discussed earlier this movie, I Know Where I'm Going, and it is a beautiful film. I think that if you watch Leap Year and you're like, I want to see this plot, but I want to see it where it works, go mm. watch I Know Where I'm Going. It Similar plot, this woman, uh, this English woman is traveling to Scotland, not Ireland, to meet with her fiance because they're going to have a huge grand wedding on this island on the outer Hebrides. And she gets to this part, this remote part of Scotland. The weather is too bad for her to get to the island. So she's stuck in this village and there she meets this soldier on leave. Mm. And then I know where I'm going. He's not really grumpy. He's actually kind of like, um, he's like a Sakamoto type where he's not alpha or beta. He's, he's competent and he's kind. Um, and they start to fall in love, but she's driven to try to get to this island. And this movie is really just, even though it's in black and white, it's really beautifully filmed um and it made me really really want to go to this part of scotland uh and it's directed by michael powell Mm. who has done a lot of um well he's done some more famous like art house films like the red shoes is a famous movie that he's done that a lot of cinema geeks and nerds are like oh wow this movie's so amazing and it is great um but if you want to see that guy do a rom-com i know where i'm going is it's just it's top notch and if we wanted to we could probably do a michael powell episode because in addition to that he directed a movie called peeping tom peeping tom yes which is a horror you call that a horror movie right oh yeah for yeah sure. So I recommend that. And then my second recommendation, since I mentioned Grumpy Heroes, is just uh, there's a romance author named Lucy Parker. I'm not going to recommend one specific book. All of them pretty Mm -hmm. much have grumpy male protagonists, and she writes them very, very well. So if you're like, oh, that's my kind of male protagonist, I need to see this, Read some Lucy Parker books because she nails it. All right. Lucy Parker books. Mm -hmm. Grumpy. You like grumpy guys. Grumpy guys. Yeah. Grumpy guys. If you like grumpy guys, boy, have I got the movie for you. Ooh, tell me about your grumpy guy. It's a little movie called Rambo Last Blood. Ooh, he's very grumpy. He's a very grumpy man, this Rambo character. Uh, I saw the new Rambo movie. How was it? It was all right. Oh, but you're going to recommend it? Well, I'll recommend just any one of the movies from the franchise. Any Uh, of them? Yeah. Have you ever seen a Rambo movie? I've seen the first Rambo. The first Rambo is real good. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The first Rambo is a real movie that has real emotions and real commentary on the world. Uh, And then the sequels kind of go guns a-blazing, but they're all good. Oh. Um, I I really like the first movie. Second movie's pretty good. Uh, second movie has that awesome scene where he's like up against the muddy cliff and the, the, the troopers go by him and then his eyes open in the mud. Oh, I've seen that as yeah. a gif. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, talk about catnip. That's like cat ecstasy. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, the, like, that is... Uh, camouflage is your cat name. Oh, my God. A guy in camouflage and then he opens his eyes, that's... And the white of his eyes yes. is what makes you yes. see him. That's, that's it for me. That's uh, If I could fit that in every movie, I'd be the happiest boy in the world. Um, it's hard to it's hard, <laughs> hard to work that in. It it needs to be in there. Um, and then the third movie I've only seen once or twice, and it's it's all right. Uh, but the fourth movie is where it's at. The fourth movie is Ooh. the one where he's in Cambodia, and he's the boatman, and the the Christian people come in to try to change things, and he's like, "Did you bring any guns?" And he's like, "No." He's like, "Then you ain't changing anything." <laughs> Wait, so is that good. the one where they have to get him from a monastery? Is that a Rambo movie? Where like they they like go to find Rambo and they're like Rambo, we need you, bro. Yeah, and he says no because right. they he don't refuses have any guns. the call to adventure. Right. Yeah, and then they go anyway, and then they get kidnapped, and the rest of the troop comes in. The rest of the the Christian, um, no, uh, what is it called when you go Christian uh, mingle? No. <laughs> um, missionaries. MS, MS, missionaries. Missionary, yeah. yeah. So the rest of the missionaries come back and they're like, you gotta go come save our people. And then there's like a great scene where everyone is like all the troops because they hire actual mercenaries to go in there. Ooh. And all the all the American mercenaries are like, there's nothing we can do about it. And then John Rambo shows up with a bow and arrow and he starts killing everyone. And they're mm. like, oh my God, I guess we gotta do something about it because this crazy guy showed up with a bow and arrow. <laughs> it's so good. Sounds uh, like more catnip. <laughs> the, oh, it's so good. And then there's a scene where Rambo's just on the back of a truck and he's got like a 50 cal machine gun and he's just like, pop, 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 pop. And he like shoots up an entire truck and there's blood everywhere oh my god that does sound like fun it's the movie's so violent it's one of the most violent movies i've ever seen it seems like sylvester stallone hits peak in a franchise right around four because like okay. rocky four was yeah, rocky, rocky four. versus the russian solved the cold war yeah he solved the cold war and then in the fourth rambo he it's so good yeah he's yeah that that sounds awesome. I don't think I've seen the fourth. Like I know, I knew about the monastery stuff because right. like they they parody it so much yeah. in TV. But yeah, it's, that sounds it so cool. It itself is like they don't just parody that. Like it was already a parody by the time Rambo Four did it. <laughs> <laughs> but Rambo uh, Sylvester Stallone wrote, and I think he directed that movie. He was like, I don't care. It's got Rambo catching snakes in Cambodia. Stallone is a good writer. Yeah. Um, what I really like about it, though, is just I really like my catnip is is grumpy men who are miserable because the world around them is miserable and mm. they hate killing, but they have to kill because one, they're so good at it. And two, because the people that they kill deserve it because they're real bad dudes. That's a good read. I feel like action movies also benefit from grumpy heroes. Like yeah. I feel like the whole um, John McClane, the yeah. whole Die Hard say, yeah. franchise is built on on John McClane's grumpiness for yeah. sure. Yeah, he's very much a reluctant snide. I don't want to be here. You're ruining my vacation. Right, right. Yeah, but they're they're definitely like different kinds of drum, grumpiness right. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, Stallone's grumpiness has more to do with him being a seasoned soldier. Right. Yeah. And I love Dread. Dread is a very grumpy male protagonist. Judge Dread? Yeah, Judge Dread. 
Oh, I thought he was like a robot. Or is no. he... It... He's robotic because mm. he has no emotions, but really... He feels deep down inside. <laughs> There's something there. He feels. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the Stallone one. I mean, the Stallone version's like a good 90s action movie, if mm. that's what you're down for. But the Carl Urban Dread? Oh, my God. Well, I love Carl Urban. You've never I've... seen Dread? I haven't seen Dread, Oh, no. you gotta get on Dread. Okay, that I will get on Dread. That movie is intense. In... It's 90 minutes of just... Carl Urban being miserable because he has to kill people and being miserable because he's really good at it. And, like, Lena Headey's in that movie, too, right? Yeah, she plays Mama, the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So we've given you not just some bites. We've given you some love meals. Yeah, a full five-course. If you don't have anything to watch after this, like... I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You could be doing what I'm doing, which is scrolling through my queue and not choosing anything. Yeah. That, that's a legitimate position. That happens a lot. Where <laughs> it, and then I just end up rewatching some TV show that I've seen a hundred times. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going through Parks and Rec right now. Yes. Yeah. For more of that Adam Scott. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love Adam Scott. All right, guys. Well, until next time. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay in love. Stay out of Ireland. Um, Unless, well, yeah, just maybe stay out. (laughs) Um, All right. right. Bye. Bye. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.